I remember once in high school that I made it a goal to read through the book of Isaiah. I'd read a chapter a day. And uh, to be honest with you, I don't know, around chapter 20 there, I got burned out by all of the judgments. I mean, it was chapter after chapter of judgments. And I decided, you know what? I'm going to return to this book another time, but I'm going to change my daily Bible reading plan. Uh, now, what happened, though, is I missed the beauty of Isaiah 40, and as the book goes on, so uh, before I read the scripture this morning, uh, just uh, a little review about the broad structure of Isaiah. Isaiah chapters 1 through 39 are focused on the time in which Isaiah lived, the 6th century B.C., this was the time when Israel had been conquered by Assyria and Isaiah was living in Judah, the southern kingdom. That's 1 through 39, Isaiah's time. Then chapters 40 to uh, 55, which is the focus of our summer ser sermon series, Isaiah is prophetically looking ahead during the time of the exile in Babylon. And then from uh, chapters uh, 56 to 66, Isaiah then is prophet prophetically looking even further ahead to after the exile and even beyond with, with glimmers and hints toward even the new heavens and the new earth. So our scripture passage today is within this section of scripture that is Isaiah 40 to 55, and Isaiah is prophetically looking ahead during the time when the Jews are in exile. Uh, let's pray. Gracious God, we are thankful for the gift of your word. May your word come alive in our lives today and have a power in our hearts, we pray. Amen. Amen. Scripture passage this morning is uh, Isaiah chapter 43, verses 22 through 44, verse 5. God's word for us today. Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense, but you have not bought any fragrant calamus for me or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offenses. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Your first father sinned. Your spokesman rebelled against me. So I will disgrace the dignitaries of your temple. I will consign Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn. But now listen. O Jacob, my servant, Israel, whom I have chosen, this is what the Lord says, he who made you, who formed you, 
uh, in the womb and who will help you. Do not be afraid, O Jacob, my servant, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. One will say, I belong to the Lord. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Still another will write on his hand, the Lord's, and will take the name Israel. This is the word of the Lord. The theme of this message, uh, the power of God's grace. God's people are forgiven and spirit-filled. Now, taking a cue from Pastor Matthew last week, if you noticed, he had a theme in his sermon last week, one sentence, and his three points just took one section from each of those sentences. I thought that was a good idea, and so I'm doing that uh, today as well. So, uh, the power of God's grace as shown in the people of God, point one, as shown in us being forgiven, point two, and the power of God's grace as shown in us being spirit-filled. And so, we begin with God's people. And uh, the text here um, identifies God's people as Jacob and Israel. So, who is Jacob and Israel? Bonnie, I'm lowering this. I need to see you better. There we go. That's good. Um, who, is, who is Jacob and Israel? Well, God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham had one son, Isaac. Isaac um, had Jacob and Esau, but then Jacob, from Jacob came the tribes of Israel. How many tribes? Yes, 12 tribes of Israel came from Jacob. At one point, the Lord wrestled with Jacob, and he did not give up. He persevered, and so God said, I am giving you a new name, the name of Israel, which means he struggles with God. So, in this text, when we hear Jacob and Israel, these names are used as synonyms. It's the same thing. It's the family of Jacob or the nation of Israel, same thing. It's a poetic use here. But interestingly, it is one people. So, you know, in Isaiah's time, there were, you know, Israel, northern kingdom, Judah, southern kingdom. But now, prophetically looking to the exile, it is one people together, my people Jacob, my people Israel. Why am I making a point of this? Because in the broader reading, even more than what I just read here in Isaiah, um, this is repeated over and over and over again. Now, when things are repeated over and over and over again, what does that mean? It simply means it's really important. Uh, kids, when your mom says your name over and over and over again, what does this mean? This is really important. I need your attention. This is essentially what God is doing for His people here. He keeps saying their name over and over and over again, saying, I need your attention here. Now, uh, 
beginning uh, in our, our broader reading for the, like the scripture passage that is on, on those bookmarks, Isaiah 42, uh, let me flip back here, 42, uh, 24, who handed Jacob over to become loot and Israel to the plunderers. Who, who did this? Uh, then 43, verse 1, but now this is what the Lord says, he created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel. Uh, verse 22, uh, which um, I just read, you have, uh, yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not worried yourself for me, O Israel. And then verse 28, so I will consign Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn. 44, verse 1, but now listen, O Jacob, my servant, Israel whom I've chosen. And this is back and forth, back and forth. Judgment, salvation, judgment and salvation, the people of God. And then finally, 44, verse 5, uh, the one I say I belong to the Lord, another will call himself by the name Jacob, and then he will take the name Israel. The repetition over and over the people of God are being addressed. Friends, we cannot forget that, that we are God's people. Wonderful to hear it in church, yes and amen. But the message for you today is that this repetition echoes in your lives on Monday morning. Tuesday, lunch, Wednesday, dinner, Thursday, when you go to bed, all the time, remember who you are. You are God's. I am the Lord's. I am the people of God. We cannot forget this. This is, this is to be a lived reality, especially since we are bombarded by so many messages through the week that attempt to change the script and say, no, 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 this is what you are, this is what you are, this is what you are. That's why it's so important for us to come back and say, who, who am I as, as the people of the God, as people of God, most fundamentally? There is, great, there is great assurance in the promise of Jesus. In the book of Matthew, he records these words of Jesus. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Oh, friends, yes, we live in a world with powerful governments, powerful corporations, powerful mass media, powerful, you name it. But there is something fundamentally more powerful, and nothing will come against it it is the people of God as the church. And, and you individually, you individually, I want to encourage you with these words from the Apostle Paul. Uh, in fact, uh, as a teacher, this is, this is eighth grade Bible memory verses. As the people of God, you need to claim this promise upon your life. What is it? Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am convinced, for I know, for I am secure in, for I know nothing's going to come against me on this one. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, 
neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. We see in Isaiah here God's commitment to His people, and He continues to call out to His people, and that commitment is a promise for us today, God's commitment to His people. And as we live understanding who we are, there is a power in that. The power is the security, knowing who we are and nothing. Nothing can take us away from that security, power of God's grace. Uh, secondly, the power of, of God's grace in that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed. Now, I'm uh, going to look at a, f- a few verses here. Verse uh, 43, verse 1, here's how it starts. But now this is what the Lord says. He created you, O Jacob. He formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. So we begin with this idea that you are created by God, formed by Him, created, formed, that you're the people of God, God calls you by name, and that you have been redeemed, that you have been redeemed. Now, when you think of redeemed, I'd like you to think for a moment about the story of Ruth. Boaz was the redeemer in that story, and what did that mean? Boaz was next of kin to Naomi and Naomi's husband. And the next of kin was going to take on the burden of redemption in order to save the family line of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. So he was the redeemer that would take on, I say the word burden because you'll see in the text this comes up again, Basically, the responsibility, all the responsibilities that were involved in redeeming the family line. So, redemption. Hold on, hold on, hold on to that thought for a moment. Now, quickly, I'm going to flip back to 42, uh, verse 21. It pleased the Lord for the sake of His righteous to make His law great and glorious. Earlier in the service, we declared uh, publicly or, or verbally the Ten Commandments. Um, God's law. And how did God make His law? Great and glorious. If you want to just start adding all sorts of positive, wonderful synonyms to God's law, you could do that in this place. It is amazing. It is a blessing. It is wonderful. This is God's law. This is a gift. Now, how do we respond to God's law? How did the children of Israel respond to God's law. This was the first, first verse of our scripture text this morning. Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, O Israel. In response to God's redemption, saving his people from Egypt, when, when God Almighty became next of kin to the children of Abraham and quote unquote wearied himself or took on the responsibilities of saving these people from Egypt. What a great and glorious salvation. What is their response to, to this grace? It is, you have not called upon me. 
You have not wearied yourselves. In a sense, you have not been fully devoted to me. Um, interesting, there's a real play on words here. Uh, verse uh, 23 uses the word burdened and wearied. And then verse 24, at the end of verse 24, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have worried me with your offenses. Do you see what's happening? God has committed himself to saving his people, and they are not seeking him in response. And in fact, this, you haven't worried yourself, uh, wearied yourself for me, it's like pff, apathetic. Who cares? Who cares? What, what, whatever. I don't want to give much effort into following the Lord. This, this is the response. Now, what is God's response? God's response is verse um, 25. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. He cleanses us. He cleans us. Our sin is a stain, and he cleans us. For my own sake, remembers your sins no more. Our sin separates us from God. God forgives us. We are redeemed, and we are no longer separated from God. You know, that verse 22 uh, convicted me. You have not sought me, not wearied yourself for me. And as I considered these words this week, I, I first pointed the finger at myself. And I thought, in light of God's grace, what are ways in my own life that I have not been fully devoted to the Lord Jesus Christ? And so now I ask you that question. That is a question of challenge for every person in this room, every person hearing this message today. In what ways have you not been fully devoted to the Lord? In light of the cost of our redemption in Jesus Christ, God the Son dying on the cross, in light of the cost that God burdened himself to redeem us, in light of that, in what way am I and you not living a life fully devoted to Jesus? One way that helps me uh, just come back to the beauty of God's grace is to hear stories of God's amazing grace. So I'm going to share a, a conversion story with you right now. Um, this story occurred in the, in the late 90s and, and 2000s. Uh, there was a young man in Hollywood who became a notable set designer for photo shoots. Um, he uh, worked with the trendy, expensive, and in brands. He worked with very famous people. In fact, one day he had lunch. I don't know, if you've ever heard of this guy Tom Hanks before? He had lunch with Tom Hanks. Uh, all of the award shows in Hollywood, this guy was at the after parties. He mingled with the celebrities and the power brokers of Hollywood. He also had no regard for God. He lived as he pleased translated, he lived a life of sin and could care less. After 10 or so years working in the industry, he had a thought. I label it his Ecclesiastes moment. He had a thought. 
what's the meaning of all this? Where is the true purpose of my life? And this thought just kind of knocked around in the back of his head for a number of months. Then one day he was at a coffee shop with a friend and in earshot were a group of Christians talking. It was obvious. They were Christians and they were talking. And uh, he became one of the easiest uh, evangelistic people there was. He turned to them and said, excuse me, and essentially said, can you tell me about Jesus? I mean, usually we're thinking, how could I ask a question to maybe create some spiritual interest or something like this? No, he's like, can you tell me more about what you're talking about? And so they share the good news of Jesus Christ with him and invite him to their church. This guy went to church, no disregard for God, living in sin, didn't want anybody cramp in his style. He went to church. Obviously, he told none of his friends, no, 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 I've got to do this anonymously. He goes to church. He hears the good news of Jesus Christ. His heart is burning within him during the entire sermon. At the end of the service, there are a few people up front that are available for prayer. He goes and prays with someone. His heart is still burning within him. And then once he is prayed for, he can't leave. He goes back to his seat. And here, here are the words that came through his mind. He said, I was all of a sudden overwhelmed with God's presence. And I was struck with this. God is real. Jesus is God's son. Heaven is real. Hell is real. The Bible is true and welcome to my kingdom. And this trendy Hollywood guy began to sob uncontrollably. And he said, God, you have my whole life. I do not care. I do not care about what burdens me or wearies me with life change. I just want you, Jesus. And the power of God's grace transformed that man that day. He was transformed into a new person in Christ and has never been the same since. Friends, that is the power of God's grace, not only for his life, but for your life and my life. And so, I want to encourage us today to think a little deeper about the depth of our sin. This is my challenge. When we think, have I loved the Lord with all my heart? I need to understand ways in which I have not done that, and that is an affront to God in His saving mercy. And I must repent of that sin. You must repent of that sin. And then the beauty of it all is God says, I forgive you. You are mine. You are clean. And we live in the power of God's grace because we are forgiven, because we are redeemed. There is power in His grace. So the power of God's grace, understanding that we're God's people, understanding that we're forgiven and redeemed. And then third, the power of God's grace 
and that we are spirit-filled, uh, that we have a flourishing, a flourishing life in God's power. From uh, chapter 44, uh, but now listen, O Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. Once again, this is a theme. Jacob, Israel, my people, I've chosen you. Uh, I've made you. I formed you. I created you as my people. I will help you. Do not be afraid. For I will pour water on thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. The idea is, is desert and barrenness, so it cannot support life. But then God pours the water out so that the ground can support life. And this is the image that's used for the next line. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. The idea of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This is also stated in Joel chapter 2. I will pour out my spirit on all people. And where is this quoted in the New Testament on the day of Pentecost? Acts chapter 2. Joel is quoted, and I will pour out my spirit on all people bringing life and refreshment and grace and God's power, God's presence, pouring out His Spirit, not sprinkling, pouring out His Spirit on all people. They will spring up like grass in a meadow. Now we're getting life. We're getting a verdant, a verdant landscape, grass in the meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Now, me being me, I, I stopped at the poplar tree thing, and I reflected on this. I thought, what kind of poplar trees are these, okay? Uh, I wanted to know this, and uh, just to be honest with you, some scholars say it, it might be a 20-foot uh, shrub uh, in the land of Israel, but other scholars, and I kind of agree with them based on the context of this verse, other scholars say um, it's, it could very likely be a 60-foot tall tree, it's a nice, a nice-sized tree, and, and that kind of fits with the context of this thriving, flourishing tree in the desert that's growing up by streams of water. So, a 60-foot tree um, that has plenty of water, plenty of shade, and this species of tree, as I read about it, said it had kind of a, a, a whitish underside. And I thought, oh, when I take my walks, I see silver poplars. So, uh, I'm not saying this is the tree, but you see the green leaves here, okay? Now, when I turn it around, look at this, okay? It is the, uh, it's kind of cool. Look, come, give me a little smile. No amen, but at least a smile. <laughs> uh, the white underside. And that was, that's the type of tree that's being explained here with the glossy leaves and the white underside. And actually, it says poplar tree, and this actually is a species of poplar. So, I'm not saying it's the exact thing, but it's in that species. Gives you a little, a little visual. Um, I would also like to mention, this was a low-hanging branch that would have eventually been cut off anyway. Uh, kids, I do not go and just randomly clip things off, okay? Anyway, the poplar tree, the poplar tree. So, as we think about this in our lives, no joke, here's what happened this week. 
true story. It was Thursday morning, and I was taking a walk at Eldridge Park. This was a type of summer morning where it started to get hot quickly. Like, you know how this morning was nice and cool, and it's going to get hot today, but we started kind of cool. Thursday, this past week, it started to get hotter quicker. So I'm walking at the park, of course, thinking about the sermon. Of course, yes. So I was, I was, I was thinking about the sermon, walking, and I started to get hot. No joke, I was thinking about this point, not on purpose, I just was. So I was thinking about the, the poplar trees and the flourishing by streams of water. I'm thinking about this, and then I, I got to the creek, and you could go uh, you could go south further into the park, or you could uh, walk over the berm and then down by a little trail that goes north along the creek. So I decided uh, to walk north uh, along the creek. So I walked north, and as I turned the corner, there is a massive cottonwood tree. Little tree fact, that's part of the poplar family. Just saying, okay? It is, it is, okay? There's a massive cottonwood tree that was shading the sidewalk. So I was starting to get hot, and I turned the corner, and all of a sudden, I was blessed with coolness. And I was just thinking about this in the Bible passage. I'm sorry for getting excited, but I was like, oh, this is it. Now imagine, you live in the Middle East. You have no air conditioning. Very semi-arid, arid conditions, and you come across a 60-foot poplar tree, and you know there's water there, and you go there, and it's uh, no hu- not much humidity, so very dry heat, so you're, you're burdened with the heat, but as soon as you step under the shade, <gasps> it, is, it is blessing. It is a wonderful thing. And so, friends, I want to leave you with this today. God's Spirit is a lived reality in our lives. As believers in Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit. And I believe, I know, that as we take our sins seriously and and deeply confess our sin and embrace this grace in Jesus Christ, we are opening ourselves to more of the spigot of the Holy Spirit pouring upon us. And what does that mean? That means you are secure. You are rooted deeply like a strong tree. And you are provided for. This tree is by flowing streams. So you are are secure. You are provided for. You are growing. The tree is flourishing and growing. You are growing in faith. You're growing in your devotion and commitment to the Lord. And you are growing in your blessing of other people. God is using you by His Spirit to bless others and to be a light for Jesus in this world. As we read these ancient words today, this is God's living word for us this week. The power of God's grace. The people of God are forgiven and spirit-filled. Amen? Amen.